1: And welcome to Kick-Ass Boomers. My guest today is Ed DeGangi. Ed was adopted at birth in New York City, an only child. He made no effort to explore his heredity until at age 67, a visit to a cemetery where members of his adoptive mother's family were buried stirred his interest. Over the past three years, through extensive archival research and DNA testing, Ed has peeled back the layers of his once-unknown family. His book, The Gift Best Given, tells Ed's story of finding his birth mother, Genevieve, a young girl with a big dream. Welcome, Ed. How are you today?
0: I'm well, Terry. Thank you so much for inviting me to join you.
1: I'm happy to have you, and we're interested in hearing your story. So your story is fascinating. So tell us what motivated you to start the long journey of learning about your birth mother, especially so late in life, like you waited a long time. So what was the motivation?
0: I should really have a better answer for you for that question. But I, I really went through almost the first 70 years of my life knowing that I was adopted. And because I had a what was essentially an idyllic childhood and Adoptive parents who loved me no less than any natural parent could love their own child. I never felt a need to know. Right. And and I would tell you that my adoptive parents never told me that I was adopted. That happened a lot
1: back then. That happened. They just they didn't talk about it.
0: Well, people were were coached to not talk about it. It was a secretive type of a thing. Yes. And you know, my my mother ultimately told my wife that she was told by the doctor to just hold your baby and tell them that you're my wonderful, lovely adopted baby. Hmm. And I have no reason to doubt, but she did that. But she stopped as soon as I could start remembering because I don't recall that ever happening. Right. My only recollection is probably someplace, I'm thinking six years, seven years, I was about to go out to play. And for some reason, my mother, my adoptive mother, sort of pulled me aside and said, you know, somebody may tell you that you're not ours. You are, and it doesn't matter. And I thought that was a very, very strange.
1: Yeah, for a little kid, because you wouldn't understand what she's saying. Yeah, but I and think I, that was a big fear of adoptive parents that. should being found out. Say, they don't look like you. That's not your kid or things like that. So. I'm sure it was a very big fear for her, which is a shame, but that's the way it was.
0: Well, the parents back then lived in fear of, of that disclosure, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: But I, I remember, you know, I can sort of remember standing there looking at her and, and my mind sort of spun a little bit. And then I said, can I go out and play now? And that was the only mention. Wow, but you know, my parents and I'm sure, like many people, had a, a big metal fireproof box. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, and they, the deed was in it, and the insurance policies were in it, and you know, the the owner's manual for the new washing machine was in it.
1: Right, and
0: right. and I always looked at that box. And one day, and again, I'm thinking it's probably before I was ten years old. Uh, you know, my parents were out, and I I hauled the box out. And said, let's see what's in there. And I, and there's a bunch of manila folders. Mm-hmm. And there was a folder with my name on it. And it was my, my report cards were in there and my first Holy Communion. And, and my father's folder was there. And there were some old resumes in it, I think. And, and then there was one for my mother. And when I pulled hers out, there was another envelope within the folder had her name on it. And out of curiosity, I opened it and there was a legal document there. And it had signatures. It was my mother's signature and my father's signature. And a signature of a man who I understood was their attorney. Mm -hmm. And a fourth signature, which I did not recognize and a name I didn't know at all. Mm -hmm. And I kind of unfolded it and looked at it and put it back and then pulled another piece of paper out. And it was a birth certificate from New York City. Mm-hmm. But it said Certificate of Birth by Adoption. Wow. And boy, that sort of explained the name on the other paper. It explained my mother's awkward comment a few years earlier. I just, yeah, I just folded them up, put them back in the box, put the box away. Right. And I think my thought process at that point was if they were not talking about this, then it was something. it wasn't something that I should be asking about.
1: Right. And that makes sense. And you know, if they're not comfortable talking about it, you don't want to bring it up,
0: right? And yeah, so it just sort of went to the back of my head. And occasionally, over the years, the thought would come up: is you know, I know I'm adopted.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) I I didn't need to be told. I've I've kind of found the smoking gun. And yeah, occasionally I would think, I wonder who my mother is. Mm -hmm. And yeah, then the second thought was, who would ever give up a kid like me? And then I just I just sort of stored the thought away again. I never once gave a thought to who my father might have been.
1: Oh, isn't that funny?
0: Yeah, but I think the thought process was that, you know, you know, my mother must have been some high school girl who stayed out too late one night and right um a month, two months later found out she was pregnant. And I know, yeah, I just sort of okay yeah I'm comfortable with that you know that that seemed to be the way most girls got pregnant back then
1: it was yeah it was just an
0: accidental event and again as I said you know I had a pretty idyllic childhood yeah I had a very good relationship with my adoptive parents I had a good relationship with my mother's you know, mother's family they were very loving my father's family was a very gregarious Italian family <laughs> Everybody embraced me. I never knew anything, you know, but those people surrounding me. And I suppose it wasn't until much later, and it's, you know, this goes back up almost to the time where I started my search. We started seeing all of the advertisements for ancestry.com, all the advertisements for DNA testing. All the, you know, all the TV shows starting to come out now with these searches for families and these joyful reunions, which, you know, were probably not always, you know, the the real case. Right. Yeah, that's sort of brought those thoughts a little bit more forward to me. Mm -hmm. And what really kind of tipped the scale is at that time, I read a book called The Lost, The Search for Six of Six Million. And it was a book written by a man named Daniel Mendelsohn, who's quite a a well-known author. Mm. He's a classicist. But what he was writing about was his search to find out what happened to six relatives who got lost in the Holocaust.
1: Wow.
0: And it was not a book about the Holocaust. It was a detective story, essentially. And it told his story of traveling all around the world, trying to find people, who had known his, I think, was a great uncle and his wife and his four distant cousins. And he really did literally travel the world. And he, you know, he's traveling on a big book advance.
1: Oh, nice.
0: So money was not really an issue, but I was fascinated by the story. And I was fascinated by the methodology. Right. So, you you know, you referenced that time in the cemetery in New Jersey And, you know, it was was where my adoptive mother's family was basically interred. It was a Ukrainian cemetery. And, you know, Mendelssohn's family had come from the Ukraine. They were Jews. But I said, you know, those people were not very far apart. And I was standing over my grandparents' grave. Mm -hmm. And it just clicked at me. I said, it would be interesting to know more about where they came from. So I I came back to Hillsborough after we had been up there and went to our local public library, and they had Ancestry.com there. Mm -hmm. My mother, who had then been deceased, my uh, my adoptive mother, who had then been deceased almost 30 years. 30 years, wow. Yeah, had a little, well, she died in 1987, and she was 72 years old.
1: Oh, she was, okay, okay. Yeah, I was
0: adopted late in their life. Oh,
1: late, okay. Mm -hmm.
0: And my father had died 10 years earlier than she had,
1: Oh, so this
0: was not a case of, you know, I waited until they were gone. So I wouldn't step on any toes. It just, right. you know, this right. was, was when the time was right. Right. So, you know, she had a couple of little pieces of paper, you know, which indicated where her family may have come from. Mm-hmm. So I gathered them up. I went to the library and I started typing information in and and information started coming back to me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I said, this is really interesting. I said, I have my birth mother's name. I You're said, I was
1: it because usually you don't have that very
0: much. So my yeah. adoption was privately arranged.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It
0: was not done through the city It was not done through a social services agency. Mm-hmm. And, and the private arrangement was a story all in itself, <laughs> but I had that piece of paper, which as you said, that's very, that's very astute. Most people don't have that. So I had a name. So I, I said, okay, it's easy with my grandparents. I'm going home. I'm getting that name of coming back here. And I did exactly that. And, you know, and I had her name, Genevieve Irene Narowski. Wow. wow. And I opened up Ancestry and I typed it in. And there was this one hesitant moment of, do I push this button or not? <laughs> and I wonder what will come back. And you know, a whole page of information popped up. Wow. And there were census records and you know, the typical information about the parents and, and where they had come from. But the, the one piece that sort of caught my eye right away was a, a visa application hmm. with her name on it, dated a year after I was born, traveling from Miami, Florida to Rio de Janeiro. Ooh! and I looked at that and I said, what could that possibly be about? And, you know, right. I had all sorts of thoughts in my mind, about maybe my mother was a spy. <laughs> <laughs> and again, there was that hesitancy and I kind of looked to my right and to my left and there's nobody around and I'm not right. sure anybody would have cared.
1: Right. They wouldn't have.
0: <laughs> no. And I pressed the button. And, you know, what I got back were her parents' names. I found her address, which was probably not even 15 minutes from where I grew up as a child.
1: Wow. How about that? So, you
0: know, so we were now in a point with very, you know, could have passed on the street.
1: Yeah. Who knows? But,
0: But what the real eye opener was, was my mother's picture was there.
1: Oh, wow. And
0: I just looked and I said, you know, and that was people ask, you know, what was the most dramatic thing out of this whole search? Right. It was that first time seeing her picture.
1: Yeah, I can't imagine that.
0: That's You know, so I'm looking at the woman who gave birth to me, taken a year after I was born. So what I also found out was at that point when she gave birth to me, she was 23 years old. So
1: Hmm. she
0: had not been the high school girl who got in trouble. She was a little bit older. Right right. And the, the application was written in Spanish or in Portuguese mm-hmm. and it listed her occupation as an artista.
1: artista. Interesting. I said,
0: okay. What's an artista? You know, that could be anything.
1: Could be, yeah.
0: And, you know, so I, I emailed a picture home, you know, to my email address. And when I got home, my wife had just returned and I went and I got my laptop and I pulled it up and I said, do you want to see a picture of my mother? And she said, we've got all sorts of pictures of your mother. I said, not this one. <laughs> I said, this is my birth mother.
1: Wow.
0: And, you know, we just both stood there looking at it and, and speculating what kind of artista. Right, right. So the next day I was back to the library. Of course. And, <laughs> and went starting to do some more looking. And what I found then was her marriage license from seven years after I was born.
1: Oh, wow.
0: And what that did is it gave me two things. Number one, it gave me, it confirmed the birth name that she had, Narowski. Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm.
0: It gave me another name, which was Naris. Ah. And I found out later that she had adopted a stage name because she was a performer. Ah, And it also gave me her husband's name, which was Meza. And it yeah. listed both of them as performers. Huh? said, okay, now what do I do with this? Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I did what everybody would do. I Googled.
1: Right. Exactly. That's what we <laughs> so, do today. We Google.
0: So I, you know, I, I Googled Genevieve Naris performer and uh-huh. nothing came up oddly enough. Right. And then I Googled Genevieve Meza performer. Uh-huh. And I got a page that came back and it was from an antiques dealer in South Carolina. She had purchased a bunch of items at an auction several years before that it turned out had been produced by my mother and her new husband as props for the big ice shows back then.
1: Oh. And those
0: items were being sold as folk art at that point. And they were very, very popular and very much in demand. And the article explained that Genevieve and her husband, Ted Meza, had been performers in the big ice shows in the 1940s and 1950s. The ice skating shows, Holiday on Ice, Ice Follies.
1: There you go. Now you know what kind of an artista she was.
0: Precisely. So what did I do next is I Googled again and I put in Mm -hmm. Genevieve Naris Skater. Mm Mm-hmm. And a blog from another antique dealer in Atlanta came up.
1: Oh wow!
0: And it had probably six or eight photographs of Genevieve. Wow! And pieces of her memorabilia, her first professional contract, her middle school diploma. You know, and it was, and I'm sitting there looking. And I said, he, the woman put in some text, and basically, it said that I had no idea who this woman was. Hmm. And I had no tie to her, but it was an era of glamour, and it was an—you know—it appeared to be the story of a very motivated and focused young woman. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at this wealth of things, and I'm thinking, well, you know, I wonder she still got them, right? I said because this could be really what leads to discovering who and what my mother was and learning more about the story. So you know, so I went on Facebook. And I started looking for her and I found two or three people with the same name, mm-hmm. but only one was an antiques dealer and one was in Atlanta. So that that's there you must, go, <laughs> must be her. And, right. <laughs> you know, so I, I sent her a, a message on Facebook and I was very, I tried to be very subtle. I said, you know, I'm f- exploring a family relationship <laughs> and I think this person may be a relation to me. I'm just curious, do you still have these items? Mm -hmm. And if you do, if you could give me, yeah, I don't even think I asked her to call me. But yeah, probably five, 10 minutes later, I got a Facebook message back saying, oh, that's very interesting. Yes, I do still have them. Oh, wow. And she said, but I'm very busy right now. Can I get back to you?
1: Uh. (laughs) Oh,
0: so I said, sure. You know, I said, yeah, I said, if it's easier for you, I said, here's my phone number. Mm hmm. And I'll wait to hear from you. And I waited a day and two days (laughs) and three days. And probably a week later, I was thinking, okay, you know, very busy and soon are different things to different people. But I sent her another message. And this time I wasn't coy. I said, you know, hi, I contacted you a week ago. And I said, the woman who whose things you have in your blog is my birth mother. I was adopted at birth. That's my mother. Within five minutes, the telephone rang. She said, I am so, so sorry. She said, I forgot all about your phone, about your message. She said, I've got these things. You have to come here now.
1: Oh my gosh, wow, (laughs) what a message.
0: (laughs) So, you know, she's in Georgia, we were in North Carolina, but about a week later, we were on the road, my wife and I, and we were headed on our way down there. And we had, you know, we had corresponded in between, we made arrangements for when we would meet. Mm -hmm. And my wife and I were sitting in the hotel lobby and, you know, a woman came in with a big big box with an armload of just stuff. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's got to be her, <laughs> you know, and I, I, yeah, I got up and I introduced myself and I just hugged her because she had already been so kind. And
1: yeah, right. and she said,
0: she said, this is it. She said, but you know, my husband will be here soon. He's parking the car mm-hmm. and probably within five minutes, her husband came in, he was carrying a sword and a shield. <laughs> you know, if, if you know, the teenage mutant ninja turtle. Yep. Yep. Appearance. You know, people are looking at him and he's, yeah, here's this grown man with a little sword and shield. <laughs> and it turned out that those who were part of the props or some of the props that my, right. you know, that Genevieve and her husband had manufactured.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: So we spent probably the next three hours together going through these things. And, and one of the things that were there were a stack of photographs of other ice skaters. Mm hmm. And they were all autographed to my mother. They were all signed. And I got out a pad and a pencil, and I was starting to write down names, thinking that, you know, I'll go researching, see if I can find any of them and see if any of them, you know, remembered my mother and what they could tell me. And damn, the husband looked at me, and said, what are you doing? <laughs> and I explained what I was doing, and he just sort of shook his head no he said, you don't need to do that. He said, this all belongs to you.
1: Oh, He, how he said,
0: we've just been holding it for you. <laughs> and, you know, my wife and I had kind of debated, you know, if they were willing to sell it, you know, how right. much do you think they'd want for it? And, and they just pushed it across the table. They said, take it oh. home with you. It's yours.
1: How and,
0: wonderful. Yeah. Wow. And we've be, become good friends, you know, and, yeah. and they're, they're kind of symbolic about, Of this whole journey, because I think, you know, it's been punctuated by one generous person after another and one kind person. You know, so many people have helped me in the search. And a lot of that, I think I attribute to my birth mother because every every person said she was so kind. She was so generous. She had nothing but time to give us. Mm -hmm. And so they were just paying back. One of the interesting stories was when out of the stack of photographs, I found a picture of a very beautiful woman named Isabel Smith, mm-hmm. and she had autographed it. And she said to the greatest roommate ever, oh. and I perked up and I said, wow, well, if I could find my mother's roommate, she can tell me a lot. Yeah. And yeah. and I did find her. Did you? Uh, yeah. Well, I found her through her husband's obituary. Oh my! And gosh. I, I couldn't find Isabel, but there were names for two sons, and, and I found one who was living in Minnesota, and I wrote, you know, my secret to this, all of this with these strange connections, was I would handwrite letters.
1: Oh my gosh! Wow!
0: And I handwrote him a letter, and I put in a photocopy of one of Genevieve's pictures, mm-hmm. and a photocopy of this of his mother. Right. And, you know, and I sent it off and I hoped for the best. You know, I, I wasn't sure if she was alive or not. But as of the time, the the obituary for her husband was written. Yes, she was. And probably about a week later, I got a phone call from him and he was all he was all excited. He said, you know, I was over and my yes, my mother is alive. And I showed her the pictures and she'd be really excited to talk to you.
1: Wow, that's great news.
0: Yeah, and she's like, yeah, my calculation, I think at the time, was she had to be 92 or so.
1: Okay, wow. He
0: said, okay, he said, now I just need to tell you (laughs) (laughs) that there is a caveat here. Mom is in a memory care facility.
1: Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) And it's sort of like letting the air out of a balloon momentarily. He said, but the good news is my mom can't remember what she had for breakfast this morning. She will tell you about every minute of 1947.
1: Oh, good news. Wow.
0: Yes. I I had a very lengthy call with her Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: she was just a delight to talk to. You know, and I started the call with saying, well, it's, you know, I realize it's kind of unfair to ask someone who's 92 what happened in 1947. And there was kind of a pause. And then the very stiff voice said, who told you I'm 92? And I just kind of backed away. So, well, I just sort of assumed. And she said, I'm 88. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I might be 85. Oh my God. So I knew what was going on at right. that point. I'm doing the math. And, you know, she was 85. She was 12 years old when she was skating with the ice follies. And we talked. And, right. you know, and she unfortunately could not tell me anything about my father. Mm. But she said, you know, she said, your mother was, yeah, you know, she told me about her as a wonderful roommate and kind person and very soft-spoken. And, and that's why she tried to stay with her. But she said, your mother was, you know, would do such daring things on the ice with her partner. Really? Yeah. Genevieve, Genevieve was what they called an adagio skater. And that means she had, she had a partner. Uh Uh-huh. And they would do these very, very
1: probably energetic routines. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. And wow. yeah. Yeah. So when I told her that I thought that Genevieve was probably pregnant at the time that she and my mother were both in San Francisco, she's I can't believe she would do that being pregnant. She didn't know. Oh. And wow. when I did the math, now she didn't know. Yeah. But yeah. But Isabel also told us the interesting story (laughs) at the time they were with, with the ice follies and ice follies would summer over at a place called the winterland ballroom in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And they would arrive there in June and they would stay there in September. Mm -hmm. And during the day they would rehearse the coming season show. And at night they would perform the current show for paying audiences And from there they would move on to Los Angeles, and that's where the big premiere was. And they would it would be nationally broadcast on radio. And ice follies did a very big job of trying to get celebrities out. So you know, Isabel told me, said, Well, she said, Well, when we were down there in Los Angeles and I dated Ronald Reagan, I said, Excuse me. (laughs) She said, Oh, "Oh, yeah, she's you know she said he was yeah you know, he just took a liking to me and he was always quite a gentleman and you know i'd go to his house and we'd go swimming in the pool and and oh she just God. said it's so matter-of-factly wow but she was a sweet lady and my wife and i actually traveled out to minneapolis to go and visit her oh nice. probably 3 or 4 months later
1: uh-huh very nice. and
0: we spent the entire day with her and she <laughs> could not have been more energetic and more excited. And, and we left and she, she said, this is the best day in my life for well, years. They
1: love talking about old oh, times she, and most people don't ask them. She loved it, I'm sure. Yeah,
0: She was in a very nice memory care facility as such <laughs> facilities go. Right. She had a very nice private room and she had all of her memorabilia there. So, you wow. know, I sat on the floor at her feet and she was handing me things and saying, oh this is. yeah." You know, so she was just tickled with it. And, you know, we talked occasionally after. Sadly, I think it was I've, I've lost track now of time, but I, I believe it was September of 20, 2019. Now, mm-hmm.
1: 2020,
0: I'm sorry, she passed away. Aww. But, you know, she was always a delight to talk to. And what a what a wonderful person.
1: So nice just, that you got to meet her.
0: Oh, Coming absolutely.
1: Parents, that's so precious. It really it, is.
0: Very much so. And, and through social media, I've made contact online with some other people who knew her. And you know, the, the responses have all been the same. You know, she was kind of a very soft-spoken, laid-back person who was always polite and generous and helpful if asked, but was not one of these upfront, real loud Right, right. public people. So, you know, I ultimately found that my mother had passed away. Mm -hmm. She had passed away in 2014, which was three years after I or before I started looking for her.
1: Right.
0: I found out that I had two maternal half brothers. Oh, they were half brothers from her marriage in 1955. One brother still alive, one deceased, rather under. Rather unfortunate circumstances. Mm-hmm. And when I tried, yeah, my that sort of felt like I wanted to know where my mother was buried. Right. And I couldn't find that out. Oh, I yeah, you know, I, I called cemeteries every place. I found out where she had lived.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And again, speaking of nice people, I found the superintendent of cemeteries in one of the counties down there. And they went on a search on my behalf, calling all the other cemeteries saying, Do you have oh, Genevieve I- not?
1: is that yeah. nice? Ugh.
0: Yeah. Just again, just Couldn't somebody who didn't need to do it, but did yeah. it because it seemed it was important. Oh, nice. Ultimately when I found my half brother who was, was still alive, he had been in a, a terrible fire the year after my mom had passed away Ooh. and he was just coming out of a physical rehab facility mm-hmm. and he and I spoke a little bit and, you know, and, and as gently as I could, it was sort of like, well, where's my mother buried? And he said, well, she's not. She's in the closet. And she had been cremated uh-huh. and the ashes were never interred. Uh-huh. His, his father had passed away in 1994 mm-hmm. and her ashes were with his in the closet.
1: In the closet? Oh, my so God. So I'm thinking,
0: yeah. I didn't have any explanation for it. And it wasn't for me to ask at the no. time. No. And my half brother was forthcoming with information, but he would also periodically ask me, now tell me one more time, what kind of kin are we? And I would say, your mother and my mother are the same person. Mm -hmm. And you know, we had different fathers. And you could hear his head kind of processing and, and he just changed the subject. Right. And we ultimately went down to visit with him. He lives south of Atlanta in Georgia, Mm -hmm. And we went down there and we arranged, we said, we'll, we'll go, we'll take you out to dinner and we can talk. And, and we went to the golden corral and I thought that would be a good place because if you're uncomfortable with the conversation, you can always get up and get another piece of pot roast.
1: Exactly. (laughs)
0: Exactly. So it was good. Yeah. There were a couple of times when either he or I got up and we went (laughs) for the fried chicken or the pot roast or another salad. And on the way back, you know, we had picked him up at his apartment and he said, well, I've got all sorts of memories. I can show you it at mm-hmm. home. But on the way back, he said, now tell me again, what kind of kin are we?
1: Oh my gosh. Wow.
0: I, I took the deep breath and I, I said, Ted, you, your mother and my mother were the same person. Right. And you and I had different fathers. I don't know who mine was, but it wasn't, yeah, not the same man as yours. And for the first time, he said, I don't know how that could be. My mother would have told me. I said, I don't think so.
1: No, she wouldn't have.
0: (laughs) I said, I just don't think that's the kind of thing a mother would tell her son, especially back then.
1: Back then, nobody talked about it. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And, you know, so he said, no, he said, I'm sure she would have told me if that was the case. (laughs) So we went back to his apartment. He had been talking about these posters he had, which had all their names on them. Mm -hmm. And they were from Holiday on Ice in the 1940s and I knew that my mother had not been with holiday ice in the 1940s. I knew that his father had been. So, you know, and and I told him on the way back, I said, Ted, yeah, I said, my mother, your mother was in San Francisco in August of 1947 with the ice follies when I was conceived. Yeah. I said, I don't know who she was with, but that's where she was. And again, he kind of didn't listen or didn't respond. And he brought out these posters and they were magnificent. They were the big, more key sized posters you see at movie theaters and oh, such.
1: Nice, Yeah, nice. He should have them framed and hung up
0: yeah yeah they're they're, they're quite valuable.
1: yeah and they're good artwork. they're beautiful.
0: yeah so he took out the 1945 poster and he unrolled it on the table and he sort of ran his name his finger down the list of names and they were all alphabetical and he got to Ted Meza, his father and there he was for sure right? and he continued down looking for Genevieve Naris and no Genevieve Naris. nope So he put the 1945 away took out 1946. And did the same thing. And again, Ted Meza was there. Genevieve was not. <laughs> and just before we get to 1947, I said, Ted, it will be the same thing. Mm-hmm. I said, your dad was with Holiday on Ice. Our mother was not. And he, he did it again. And yes, same, same thing. Oh my God. He just kind of quietly rolled up the posters and picked them up and took them into the other room. Came back with a photograph album. He said, Well, this was my mama's photograph album,
1: Uh, not ours, mine.
0: (laughs) Well, at that point, yeah, at that point, it was mine, right? And yeah, and she did a fabulous job of chronologically taking, you know, little brownie black and white snapshots of every place she had been. Her career started in 1942, nice, and everyone was labeled and dated. And so he's he's sort of flipping through 1943, 44, 45, 46. And now now that's becoming very suspenseful. I'm wondering what's going to be on 1947. And before he turned the page and these are all little black and white snapshots, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I said, I'm sure I'm right."
1: right. I said,
0: your mother was in San Francisco in August of 1947 with the Ice Follies. And he flipped the page and an album full of black and white snapshots in the middle of the next page is a color picture, color snapshot labeled San Francisco, August 1947. My and I, I don't know if you I don't know if you've seen the cover of the yes, book.
1: I did, yes. But
0: that's the photograph, and he oh, kind of looked at it gosh. and he just folded up the album. And he put it away. And he came back. He said, "Would you like a beer?" And I, I said, "Sure." <laughs> you know. So we, you know, we just made other chit chat. We left. You know, there was a white elephant in the room, but we weren't talking about it. So toward the end of the discussion or, the, or our time there, I had brought a copy of my adoption decree.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It had his mother's signature on it. By then, I knew precisely it was his mother's signature. It was right. very. Dis- very distinctive. And I showed it to him, I handed it to him, explained what it was. And he looked at it and kind of like the posters, kind of like the photo album. He looked at it, he <laughs> folded it up and he went to hand it back to me. And I said, Ted, I say, it's a photostat. It really has no value at this point. Other to me, other than to me, mm-hmm. maybe to you. Right. I said, if you'd like to keep that copy, you're welcome to it and you know we sort of left the whole discussion as is and went back home to North Carolina Mm -hmm. a little later in the week he called me and he said yeah I said well I took that paper down to and he showed it to the administrator at the rehab facility that he had been in when he was burned Mm -hmm. and it was someone he apparently trusted and I said okay I said what did he say and there was a pause and he said, Well, he asked me if that was my mama's signature. And there was another pause. I said, Well, what did you tell him? <laughs> he said, Well, I told him that's mama's signature. Another pause. I another said, Ted, I, I said, What did he say then? He said, He said, Well, Ted, if that's your mama's signature, looks like you've got yourself a brother. How about that? And since that day, he's been as good as gold. He, you know, oh. he just he just needed somebody else to say it's the real deal.
1: He did, he uh, you did. know, and
0: he's. I think you know. Number one, that's a shock.
1: It is a if, shock. It really if, is.
0: If somebody showed up on the telephone yeah. and said, "Hi, I'm your new brother," <laughs> yeah, yeah. And number two, he was also kind of worried about identity theft or somebody trying to scam something.
1: Yeah, can't so, blame him for that. It happens all the time.
0: Yeah. So, so and, you know, in this whole process, as I said in the beginning, I had never given thought to my father, and. Before I started to search for Genevieve, I sent in a DNA sample to Ancestry, mm-hmm. and all I wanted to know then was my ethnicity. My mom came from a Ukrainian family. My adoptive father came from a Sicilian family, <laughs> and that's always what I sort of identified as. Yeah. And so I sent in the Ancestry sample, and they were Backed up like crazy because it was right after the Christmas holiday. Oh. And it wasn't until May that I got my results back.
1: Oh, what and, a long wait. That would have driven oh, me crazy. crazy. Yeah, you know, because you're waiting would, and waiting. You're anxious to know.
0: Yeah, I was oh. impatient, but all I wanted to know was the ethnicity. That's all right, I expected right. to find. So it finally came back and I got my ethnicity. Mm-hmm. And it said I was part Eastern European, which kind of went along with the Ukrainian part Ashkenazi Jew, which again is Eastern European. Okay. And uh, that comprised most of it, but then some Northern European Great Britain. Okay. you know, So that's, I didn't know where I came from. That at least gives me a hint, but then they give you a list of your relationships. And at the top of the me list too. is somebody who is listed as first cousin slash close relative oh and by that time I knew everything about Genevieve's family I thought Mm -hmm. and this name didn't go with any of them Mm. and you know I and happily there was a way to message the person who is listed as a close relationship
1: that's nice
0: and you very often hear about, well, I messaged and they never answered my message. Right, right. I messaged him. Ten minutes later, I got a message back saying, this is really exciting. I'd be happy to help you.
1: Oh, my gosh. That's so exciting.
0: <laughs> so he was a he was a member of the Latter-day Saints. Huh. And they keep their very, very much into tracing ancestry.
1: Absolutely, they do.
0: And he had a massive family tree. And I was sitting there looking.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: And he had, I think his mom had, his father had no siblings. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: His mother had five sisters and a brother. So I said, okay, if this man who I'm corresponding with is my first cousin, then that man has to be my father.
1: Yeah, makes sense.
0: <laughs> so I messaged him back and said, okay, here's what I'm thinking. huh. And in the meantime, he's now gone and looked at my results. And he came back to me and he said, what you're thinking makes sense. But,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, if your mother was in San Francisco, my uncle never left Texas. Ah. And if you've really got 30% Ashkenazi Jewish blood. hmm. My uncle has no Jewish blood.
1: Ah, so not him.
0: No, but then he sort of delivered the zinger. He said, my father was half Jewish.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: And it turned out that this first cousin slash close relative was actually my half brother.
1: Oh, my gosh. Your half brother.
0: Yeah. So his father was my father.
1: Oh, my gosh. And,
0: you know, all the parts fit, fit together. His father never left San Francisco.
1: Oh, my and gosh. That's funny. He said
0: My father was a very impetuous, possibly OCD or ADHD type.
1: Uh-huh. Right.
0: Who, you know, who is a notorious womanizer.
1: <laughs> there you go.
0: <laughs> and, you know, had five wives.
1: Five wives.
0: So it's quite possible, you know, and you know, it was at that point it was irrefutable.
1: It fit. It absolutely. Yeah, fit. It, all yeah. Fit yeah. yeah it all fit together, and oh you know, my- I
0: th- I think again one of the sweet things, yeah, we traveled and we met him. We went to San Francisco. Did
1: you? Wow.
0: And when we got there, he said, "If you don't mind, my mother would like to meet you." And this was the woman that he married after you know, he had the relationship with my right. birth mother. And at first, she had been a little bit perturbed because she was concerned that maybe something was going on while they were going out.
1: Right, right. But
0: she finally figured out the dates. They didn't know each other at that point. Good, good. But yeah, but he said she would really, yeah, she'd like to meet you and talk with you. Interesting. And when we went out there, another woman who was then... Boy I'm thinking she was 96 she's 99 years old now.
1: Wow.
0: You know she was she greeted my wife and my son was traveling with us and greeted him and then told her son to take them and show them the house. She wanted to talk to me. And it was just one of those other generous moments. She oh. said I want to tell you about your father. Wow. And I just want you to know and yeah you know, yeah. You know, nice. Yeah, it, most of it was not terribly complimentary about him, but oh, well. but she she also tried to explain where she thought a lot of his character traits came from. Right. And she said I just thought you should know whatever it was there is to be known. Right. And right. it was it was a very sweet thing to do and I you know I think it was one of the most generous things anybody along the line had done. It would have been very easy for her to say I don't want anything to do with him.
1: Right. Right. but it
0: was, it was quite the opposite.
1: So nice. Yeah.
0: And you know, when, when I met my half brother, he, he had no problem understanding what the relationship was. Right. He and I probably look a lot more alike than I do with my maternal half brother. <laughs> and yeah, awesome. so it, it's, it's, it's been a remarkable journey.
1: Wow. Uh, it really has. It's so interesting. And now you have this whole new family that you never knew you had.
0: Yeah, and do you know what's very interesting, Terry? Is when I wrote the book, yeah, you know, several of my cousins called me and apologized. They said, We always knew we should have told you.
1: Oh, I said, What? Wow, it's they, the point when you're older, you know, people
0: they said, We always assumed you knew. Oh, you God. know, when we were kids, our mothers told us, Don't say anything, it's none of our business. And they just assumed, you know, that it was it was common knowledge. So it was. a.
1: Oh, that's so funny. So yeah,
0: it really was. <laughs> but
1: that's the way it was back then. It, said it, it
0: was. It was. Like, a, don't talk it,
1: about it. Don't say anything. Don't ask any questions. That's the way it was.
0: Yeah, it was hidden. You know, back then yeah. when there was an accidental pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. The mother got hidden. The baby yep. got taken from the mother. Yep. When it was born and it was placed. I was blessed with something totally different. Yeah, you know, my yep. mother, my birth mother had resources at that time because she mm-hmm. was a performer. She had a and she did keep it a secret. Her her parents never knew.
1: Disclaimer. Her parents no. would have never forgiven her. Nobody Ukrainian, knew. They would have never forgiven her. Uh, that's the old school thinking. So she yep, was yep. right to do what she did. And look at the fabulous career she had that she might never have had if she had kept you. And you went <laughs> to a wonderful family that raised you. You had a great life. So everybody in exactly. this situation. It
0: was, it was, it was a win-win. And you know, yeah. it's not always that way. There are no, some people not. who had, you know, had very difficult circumstances and didn't come yeah. out nearly so so wonderfully. But yeah, it's Yeah, it was a great thing. And I I eventually talked to my oldest cousin who is no longer alive and and with whom I had never talked about this. And I said, "Okay, I'm going to spring it on her. I'm going to call her. And I said, and what can you tell me about my adoption? And she never missed a beat. You know, she said, your mother was an ice skater. My mother went to pick you up at the hospital with your parents Oh, and wow. she told me one other thing, and I don't recall on that call, but she called back a couple of days later. She said, and you were named after so-and-so because he arranged your adoption. Oh my gosh. And so-and-so was an acquaintance of Genevieve's brother-in-law, Oh! and he was a good friend of my adoptive parents. Oh. And, you know, so someplace there were conversations on Bad both sides.
1: Yep. Just got lucky.
0: And he, you know, and I write about it in the stories a man by the name of Eddie Sens, who is a very well known hairdresser and makeup artist in the movie industry. And both my adoptive parents and Genevieve's brother in law, you know, had similar career paths and were in the same place. Most likely at the same time, maybe never met, maybe met and didn't know in the end, but.
1: Wow, that's uh, so interesting. It was
0: just fabulous coincidences and near misses one after another after another. Right?
1: So, what made you want to write a book about it? Because that's a whole other story.
0: Yeah, yeah it is. It.
1: <laughs> Not every, I mean, people do it and they find their, they don't write books about it. So, what made you go that extra step?
0: Well, it's interesting. You know, I was, the book is interwoven. It's two different stories or two different parts. Mm -hmm. And one is my journey of, of the discovery process and Mm -hmm. what I encountered as far as the reunions. And the second part was Genevieve's story. And I started off, my wife was urging me, you should really write down and journal what you're doing as far as the step-by-step process.
1: Yes, so smart. Yep.
0: Yeah, and and I I started doing that. We've got some wonderful libraries in this area, and one of them had a monthly memoir class. And it didn't turn out so much as a class as a place where you were expected to show up with (laughs) something you wrote in the past month.
1: Oh my gosh! And, right.
0: and that was good. I needed that commitment. I needed somebody to to be right. standing standing yeah. over me, saying, "What are you bringing me?"
1: Right, right. Good idea. And,
0: yeah, and then I have a friend who actually I had breakfast with him just this morning, who's done some wonderful writing on his own on a broad number of topics, mm-hmm. and he's yeah he's very big into history. And as I was telling him what I was uncovering, as far as the ice skating side of the story and, right. and Genevieve he said you need to write a book about the ice skating part
1: yeah it's fascinating it's fascinating and he,
0: he kept on telling me are you writing the book yet are you writing the book yet he <laughs> was doing that again this morning
1: there you go oh, but God.
0: so the two of them came together and it's originally as I wrote I had one piece which was start to finish memoir mm-hmm. and one piece which was start to finish Genevieve's story from 1942 when she left home
1: mm-hmm. and she
0: left home in New York city. She was 17 years old. Oh my gosh. Got on a train all alone, traveled to Vancouver, British Columbia to I join an that. ice skating oh, troupe.
1: That's really brave. That's real. But she was, really wanted to do it.
0: Oh, that was her dream. Yeah. Was her that was dream. her dream.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: And it traces her path all the way to the time she returned home in 1947 and to find out she was pregnant yeah. and the time she spent in 1948 managing her pregnancy pretty much on her own
1: oh my, and God. then
0: through okay. the process of surrendering me mm-hmm. and yes you know, so I had these two stories it was book one and book two and right. and I you know, I said that's about the best I can do you know and I finally I I had an editor who looked at it and I said what do you think and she said I don't like it and I, I said, well, show me something better. And right. and she took it almost like a deck of cards shuffling. Oh, and it sort of tells the story, a little bit of memoir, a little bit it of in
1: Gen- and that. Yeah, that makes it more interesting, I think.
0: Oh, and I, it worked out beautifully. It oh, really wow. does work out beautifully. And it, you know, it, it starts with Genevieve's. Well, it starts with me in the cemetery in New Jersey. Yeah. And. Interestingly, or another coincidence, the cemetery in New Jersey was in Jackson, New Jersey. And it ends with us in a cemetery in Jackson, Georgia.
1: Wow, what a coincidence.
0: Yeah, interring Genevieve's and her husband's ashes finally.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: And finally putting them to rest that way. And that was, you know, that was the conclusion. And it, you know, could not have been a a more poignant. Poignant thing for me, yeah. And it just, you know, it just kind of, you know, I, might have I'm been pushing
1: and... you from the other side because she was stuck in that closet. <laughs> yeah, get me out thought, of here! Good gosh, I'm gonna get my <laughs> my son, my birth son, to find the story and bury me the way I need to be buried. Who knows? Who knows? You know, it
0: sounds preposterous. I believe that. Yeah, yeah. I'm a believer in such things
1: me too. I think those things happen. She wanted out of that closet. And it helped you and it helped a lot of people to get that yeah. story out. So it's
0: interesting. You know, when I, I was very tentative with my half brother because it's it's a private matter. Those yeah, th- it those is. ashes were in his possession. And right and one day, you know, I, I finally figured out it was economics that yeah. that he limited his being yeah. able to do anything. And I right. I said, Ted, what do you think of this idea? And I had already done some research Mm -hmm. and you could almost hear him sigh with relief. And yeah, Yeah. he was very pleased to do it. So it was a, it was a good thing for everybody.
1: Good. good. I've got
0: one last story if you have the time.
1: Okay, we'll do one more last quick story and then we'll finish up.
0: Yeah, we were in the town where my brother lives in Georgia, Mm -hmm. which is very, very rural. There is a very sophisticated restaurant. Uh, with, with you know with wonderful gourmet food wonderful staff so my wife and I always go there when we you know when we're in town we haven't been there that many times but it's mm-hmm. it's a must stop and a must do and right. we even have a favorite waiter who is gay and a little bit flamboyant and but so nice you know and, and so attentive and young know, that we have very personal conversations about how did he get there and Night. So you know, the night before we were to do the interment of the ashes, we were sitting in the restaurant. We were watching. There was a table across the room, and he brought out a very fancy-looking little dessert to them, and and they seemed very surprised by it. Mm-hmm. And then a table adjacent to ours, he did the same thing. It was the dessert, mm-hmm. and he came back to our table. And he said, "We're doing something special. You don't have a special occasion tonight, do you? Birthday or anything?" And my wife and I looked at one another and we almost knew what it was gonna be. And my wife said, right. Well, yes, we do. Right? He said, You do. He said, Is it a birthday? And she shook her head, no. And mm-hmm. she said, Well, what is it? He's and my wife looked at me and then at him and said, Ed's mother is coming out of the closet tomorrow.
1: How appropriate is that? <laughs> that is so funny. Oh, and my he God.
0: put his hands on his hips. He said, Well, I am down with that. And we, we explained it to him, but he went running off to the kitchen.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: And a little while later, he came back. And meanwhile, we're looking. He came back with one of these desserts. And I, I've got the picture I'll, maybe I'll send it to you separately. Oh, you
1: should, you should. It's, oh my god. Congrats
0: gosh. on coming out of the closet.
1: Oh my gosh. But that the, is the funniest story.
0: The kitchen staff was in the doorway looking out, the people at the bar were looking over at the bar, yeah, you know, oh, cuz everyone gosh. knew the story by that point. Oh,
1: I bet. I bet. Yeah, and what it a was
0: a story. What is It story. was it was really funny what and it's a
1: fitting ending to your whole search.
0: This it is, was. That's
1: just a perfect Fitting ending to everything,
0: mom really came is. out of the closet <laughs> at the age of 88. Or,
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, that's is- yeah, it
0: was it was funny. Yeah, it's the whole thing has been like that. There was the humor that night, there was the poignancy the next day, right. and it's been a mix of ups and downs like that. And it's been great altogether,
1: lots of emotion woven in, but good yeah. emotions. It's so- all
0: been positive emotion,
1: yeah, yeah, that's great, yep. I love your story. So (laughs) I hope that your people my my Boomer Nation will look for your book and buy it. So tell us where we can contact you and where they can find the book.
0: Yeah, the book is a, is widely available. You can order it through any of your local bookstores. Okay. You know, cool. Barnes and Nobles has it or can order it for you. The book is available through all the online retailers. You know, Amazon seems to be the favorite these days. Yeah. And the yep. book is called The Gift Best Given, mm-hmm. a memoir it's available both as a soft cover and an electronic format. So for Kindle, for Nook, whichever way. Right. And you can also order the, um, the book from my website via credit card. Mm-hmm. And that's at www.digangiauthor.com. And I'll spell that. It's D-I-G-A-N like Nancy, G-I, author, all one word, dot com. And I'll be happy to personalize the book anywhere you like it and sign it. And, you know, typically an order that comes in today gets to the post office by this afternoon at the latest tomorrow morning.
1: Oh, that's so, great. So that's great. See it
0: quickly. Yeah. And anyone who, who's curious and would like to just reach out, I've, I'm on email as well. And it's edward.degangi.author at gmail.com.
1: There you go. Same you know, same thing.
0: Yeah. Always happy to hear from people. And I'm right. on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. And again, it's ganji author. It's Facebook slash author Instagram. Great. great. That's great.
1: So I hope some uh, some of my audience will reach out. I hope they buy the book because it does sound like a great story. Oh,
0: it's a good story. Yeah, and I, a good
1: story. I,
0: everyone comes away from it saying they should make a movie out of that. Hey. There's a movie there.
1: (laughs) You never. There is a movie there, and you never know if if the book gets to the right person. Stranger things have happened. They really have.
0: You know what? It's a serious story, but it's a feel good story. It is it's a, a happy story. story. Yeah,
1: it is. It is. So thanks so much for being a guest on kick-ass boomers. This is, it's great information for any adoptees who might be searching for a birth parent, but it's also good for other family members that just want to do some more searching on family about family on ancestry.com. Like look into your past. You don't have to be an adoptee to want to find out more about your, you know, where you come from. Like, you know, your parents and your, your cousins and, but Search back into the further history and find out a little bit more because you might find something fascinating like a mother (laughs) who did ice skating years ago. That was just a great story. So thanks, Ed, for being on my show and for anyone who wants to find the show notes for the show, you can go to kickassboomers.com. You click on Ed's picture and you'll be able, the show notes will come up and his website and everything will be there in case you're out walking and you don't have a place to write it down and you don't remember what he said. I'll have all the links to his Facebook, his LinkedIn and all of that. So I encourage you to go buy his book, read a little bit more because it's a fascinating story. So thanks again, Ed. This was great.
0: Terry, thank you for the wonderful conversation. I enjoyed it.
1: You're welcome. I did too. It was really fun. Thank you.
0: We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Kick Ass Boomers. For more information on today's guest,
1: along with the show notes and other inspiring resources, buzz on over to kickassboomers.com.
0: And don't forget to join our kick ass community on Facebook or LinkedIn to continue the conversation. Be bold, not old.